the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Okay, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3 this afternoon. Acts chapter 3. And before we get there, I want to encourage all of my listeners out there to come to our website, www.nbcoc.net, and learn about us, look us up on our times of worship and Bible study. And I hope, I hope that you, if you ever have the opportunity and the time to place a little bit of your time to give give it over to the Lord, to come and visit with us here at the congregation. We would love to meet you, get to know you, hear your thoughts about this radio program, if it has been helpful to you or useful in some way. Or maybe even you can email me at office at nvcoc.net. So I encourage you to do that. Let me know that uh, folks are actually listening and, and finding uh, this program to be useful. Even if you know me and uh, you meet me here at North Valley, send me an email. That is always encouraging throughout the week as I put these programs together. And I would like, I would love to hear your thoughts and maybe even hear your thoughts on what you'd like me to take a look at next after we finish going through the book of Acts. And we have Daniel uh, we could do or other things, but I uh, would like to hear your thoughts on that as well. Okay. Acts chapter 3. We've been working through the book of Acts, and we're looking at the New Testament church at, at its beginning. It's de- we're looking at its development and its growth, and that's what the book of Acts is all about. The body of Christ growing and becoming uh, more clear in the minds and the hearts of, of people whom God wants to bring back to himself. Now, when we open up chapter 3, it says that now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. When you open up your commentaries, a lot of commentators believe that this is several days after the events that that took place in chapter 2. And the reason why they believe that is because uh, here in verse 41, it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, they say that that's just there's just no way in those few hours or six hours from that morning till this afternoon because the ninth hour is 3 p.m. We know that Paul or Paul, sorry, that Peter started speaking at where is it at? I know I got to hear. Where is it? Uh, how, where does it say what time it was? Excuse me. I thought I think it was like it said it was the a third hour. 
My apologies. You would think I would be have been ready. Oh, oh, it's when he was talking about them not they're not drunk as they suppose. Uh, take a sand, men of Judea, and all you live in Jerusalem. Let it be known to you, and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. That would be nine o'clock in the morning for us. I'm sorry it took me so long to find that. And so they're saying that those those six hours is not long enough to baptize three thousand. But that's not true. Uh, you, once you have someone baptized, they can help baptize others. Uh, some people believe you, you have to have a, a baptized believer to baptize folks. I don't believe that is necessary because there's some problems with that, but that's another discussion. But anyway, I believe that it is the same day. Peter and John were probably coming back from the baptisms of people. They probably went outside of the city and, and were baptizing them. Or maybe they, were, they went out to do something. Who knows? But they were coming back to the temple in the ninth hour. That would be 3 p.m. our time. It is the hour of prayer. This is still Pentecost. There's a lot of folks. Maybe they heard about what had happened. Maybe not. But as they're coming, I believe Peter knew who he was going to run into. I have no doubt in my mind. And I'll explain that here in a moment. Verse 2. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Okay, so clearly I think Peter knew, Peter and John knew what they were going to do. I, in fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were discussing this on the way up. How should we go about getting people's attention when we come back up into the temple? You know, the Lord sent the Holy Spirit. But, of course, now they know things now, not that they have the Holy Spirit. And they were probably thinking, you know that, that beggar we always see at the, the gate called Beautiful? He has been there since, the, uh, I can't remember. I think he's always been there. And John's like, you're right. I, I see him there every day. Everybody knows he's lame. Everyone. Yeah. Let's fix his legs. I mean, that will get folks' attention, won't it? It will be a benefit to him and a benefit to the kingdom. And John's probably thinking, that's right. Let's do that. That's good. So they get there. Look at us, they said. They wanted to really get his attention. And they tell him, we don't have physical things, but what we do have, we'll give to you, and we have authority given to us by Christ. And it is in his name that you are to walk. And so verse 8, with um, uh, verse 7, I mean, and seizing him by the right hand, so he, I can almost see it say, walk, and he grabbed his right hand, seizing that hand. He raised him up, pull, I can almost see him pulling him up to his feet, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Peter had no doubt, did he, that this would work and it would happen. No doubt whatsoever. And with a leap, verse 8, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had 
happen to him. And so, uh, several miracles uh, occur here, all at once. It's all one miracle, but it's really it's multiple that occurred to help this guy. Number one, whatever ailment, whatever happened to his legs is gone and fixed. Second, his muscles on those legs, which have never been used, were developed. And then third, in his mind, he was given the ability to know how to walk and how to leap and how to use those legs that he has never done his whole entire life. Amazing. And as he extends, boy, he is excited. Why wouldn't he be? He's never done this. This is amazing. He is no longer going to be useless sitting there begging his whole life. And now, the one thing that caused him to be useless has been taken away. And so he's leaping, and he's praising God, and walking, and everyone takes note. They know who he is, no doubt. This is that, we know this guy. We've been seeing him all our lives. And so they were filled with wonder and amazement. They were, they were dumbfounded at what happened. This doesn't make sense. How did, how did this happen? And so it really gets people's attention, doesn't it? And while he, this beggar, was clinging to Peter and John, now he's clinging to them because he wants to thank them. Now, yeah, Peter and John know they, it's not their doing, it's the Lord's, and they're going to make that point here in a moment. But he is giving praise to God, but you know, like you would with anybody, even if they were just the messenger, uh, you, you're so thankful and so happy, you just want to be able to hug someone. <laughs> and why not them? They brought it. It may not be a gift from them, but they brought it to him from God. And what a blessing it is for him to be able to have, uh, have that, uh, that possibility. I forgot to mute my phone here. I apologize. And so, what, what, what a blessing. And so he's clinging to them. And everyone, uh, it says here, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Again, you could say dumbfounded at what had happened. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? Okay, but piety. Well, what is piety? Well, piety is men of extraordinary spirituality. He said, you know, why are you gazing at us but thinking that we are the ones that, that did this? There is nothing uh, that we did to make him walk. We're just the messengers and brought it. And they shouldn't really be amazed. Because what, what about what happened this morning? Maybe they knew or saw that. Or what about all the things of Jesus that they had heard about? Or many of them had seen. They had seen this. They know. They should know at least. Just like he was saying in Acts chapter 2. What you're seeing and hearing, this should remind you of Joel chapter 2. So he's going to remind them, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So he's reminding them again of what they had done. Whether they were part of the screaming and yelling and saying, put him to death, or they stood by quietly and did nothing, they were all part of it. And so Pilate, even though he's you know, not a great guy, he's kind of a coward, but he wanted, he had decided to release Jesus. He saw nothing wrong. He, this is a Roman. Why would he care? Well, he didn't see anything wrong with this guy, Jesus. And so he gave them an, uh, 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 an opportunity to let Jesus go. Verse 14, but you disowned 
Peter goes on, the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. So here's Pilate. He's okay. I'm going to give you a choice. It's a, uh, typically, we, we give you an opportunity to you know uh, pardon somebody. So here's Barnabas, the murderer, and here's Jesus. Who do you want me to release? The murderer. So you... They, they take the one who takes life, and they disown the one who gives life. See, that, that's the comparison that Peter's making here. They put to death the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. He's speaking of himself and the other apostles and those others who had seen it. And also, that's something that they know about. They had at least heard the story that the body of Jesus is missing, or maybe they heard about the lesson that Peter already gave, or maybe they were part of that, I don't know. But he goes on in verse 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, the name of Jesus, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him, Jesus, has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. This is not from Peter and John. This is not our power. It is the power of the one that you handed over to die. It's from the power of the one that God raised from the dead. It is on the basis of faith in the in his name and who he is, the Son of God, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. And notice that he, he makes that, that those comments twice in this verse, verse 16. Faith and in the name of Jesus, twice. And it is uh, him who brought perfect health in this man who's standing here before you now. And so, he goes on. Here's why Peter is bringing all this up. And now, verse 17, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. Okay. Acted in ignorance. Oh, how so? How so? They, If they knew that Jesus was the anointed one and the Son of God, if they, were, if they really understood that, they would not have put him to death. Now you may be thinking, what? Well, but they, they did think he was. Well, yeah, they did, they did think he was, but they were expecting something different. So then they thought, well, no, he's, he's false. He's not really the son, son of God uh, because he's not doing what we thought he would do. So they put him to death despite all the miracles he had done. But, you know, Peter's giving them an out here in a way. Even the rulers did also act in ignorance. But, he says, verse 18, but... The things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. He has thus fulfilled. In other words, you know. You acted in ignorance, but you should have known. And he references the prophets. that God knew. He even announced beforehand that this would happen. Again, this flies in the face of anyone who believes in premillennialism. That Jesus did not expect to die. That God did not see this coming. And as a stopgap, he, he gave us the church until Jesus can come back and establish a, a kingdom on earth. That's premillennialism. And that's clearly not true. God said that this would happen in the prophets. He knew it would happen. The church was not an, an accident or a stopgap. It was intended. This is it. It is the last age. This, there's no more ages after this. That if you believe in premillennialism, then you do not believe that it is the last days. You think those days are coming. They haven't come yet. 
but that we are in the last days. This is it. When Christ comes again, he's not setting foot on this earth. He's taking us home to heaven. Therefore, because of that, because this has been fulfilled, verse 19, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is a difficult verse. Uh, uh, People translate this differently. Uh, I think the way uh, other people translate it is okay. It doesn't bother me, uh, the differences uh, at all. Let me see if I can find it real quick. There's a... I got Denny Petrillo's notes here, and I want to read it to you. Okay. He says... Oh, you know what? Let me just quote Linsky. R.C.H. Linsky, he is a Lutheran uh, commentator, but he is fantastic. He is a scholar of the Greek. I have his commentary. He's one of the first commentaries I pull up. I love him. I think he's a fantastic commentator, but I don't agree with him here. But let me read to you what he writes about this. He writes, Seasons of refreshing or cooling from the presence of the Lord are longer or shorter periods of spiritual enjoyment when men who repent and are justified are given times in which to feel the sweetness of God's grace in Christ Jesus without disturbance. They come from God's presence or countenance like sunshine and pleasant breezes. The old legalism of Phariseeism knew nothing about such seasons, for all work righteousness is like the dry uh, heat, or uh, uh, yeah, it's like the dry heat and sweat of slavery. Difficult times and fiery trials alternate with such pleasant seasons. Okay, so I, I mean, it sounds good, and and, there's, and that could be it. I, I'm not going to uh, lie; that could be what what's intended here by by Peter or by the Lord in, in the words here. But let me give you what I think. Uh, this is. in uh, Linsky and Denny Petrillo do not believe that this is a parallel to Acts 2.38, and I'm not trying to make it a parallel, but I will say that uh, when he says, therefore, repent and return, we see repentance, so that your sins may be wiped away. Well, where does that happen? Well, that's at baptism, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, some who uh, agree with some of the things I say here will say, well, that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, and that's why they make it a parallel, but the, the Holy Spirit over in Acts 2.38 is not an indwelling. It is the miraculous, and he's not talking about that here. What is the refreshing that we get from the presence of the Lord? Well, it is what they're thinking as far as indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but not in that way. It is Christ in us. It's because we died on the level of our heart, and we're taking on the mind and heart of Christ. We are seeing things differently. So that even in times of fiery trial, this is where I'm going to break from Linsky, even in times of, of difficulty, we are in a time of refreshing because we know, we know that this is uh, uh, not genuine life. We know that even if they kill us and take our life, they can never take our soul. Only God can do that. And if we do die... We're going to heaven. So we are refreshed. We're not worried. Not saying that there won't be pain and anguish and frustration in those things, but we know something they don't. 
we see life differently because we have died and Christ lives in us. And we could say like Paul, if we really see things and understand them, we could say like Paul, to die is gain. That we are, we can sing joyous hymns and songs while put in the inner prison as uh, Paul and Silas will be uh, happen to them later on in the book of Acts. That that joy can't be taken from us. Because even Jesus said, I have come that you may have my joy and have it abundantly. How are we going to get that? Christ in us. And that time of refreshing will be always for you and for me. And so he Peter goes on in verse 20. He remember, he's preaching to, to, to Jews who know these things, know about uh, the anointed one and looking for him, and they know things about Jesus and his teachings. And, and so he goes to verse 20, and that he, God, may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke <clears throat> by the mouth of his holy prophet uh, from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, to whom you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. So he's, he's making some mention to the, the last day when Jesus comes again. But now he's saying, you better listen to him because those who don't, they'll be destroyed. Uh, even the prophet said, you better uh, listen to him. Because they've been talking about these days that you're now seeing. Verse 25, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your families. In other words, you know all these things. Connect the dots here, all right? Saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of them, not just the Jews. Everyone. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Come to Jesus. Give up the, the life you're currently living, living. The time is now. You put to death the anointed one. But he's been raised from the dead. But the opportunity to come to him is still there. And so they've seen this miraculous event and they were looking at Peter and John as if they had done it. And Peter takes this as an opportunity to give them the truth. These are not ignorant men in the sense that they don't know the scripture. They're ignorant in what who the prophet Jesus was. He was the anointed one. He was the Christ they had been looking for. And they're, I'm sure they already had wondered, man, did we do the right thing? And now they're starting to see that, man... We messed up. At that time, our emotions were stirred up. We weren't thinking straight. But now they're thinking a little straighter, and they're starting to realize, man, what have we done? Now, we're not going to get into this today, but here in chapter 4, uh, Peter and John will be arrested by the, the leaders in the Sanhedrin and because they don't like that they're talking about the resurrection. Uh, yeah, the resurrection. And you'll, I'll show you that uh, later on. But in verse 4 it says, But many of those who had heard the message, the message there from chapter 3, believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. They believed. Now, is that 
another five thousand, or is that five thousand added to the three thousand? So it's only two thousand. Well, we'll take a look at that again next week. We'll dive a little closer into that. I know we're doing a lot here in chapter three, but I really want us to get to four. Chapter three is here to build us up to chapter four, where it's for us to learn from, but it is kind of quick. And Peter has us quite a bit here, but it's really just to get these thoughts and ideas into their mind. Do we still do this today? Have this kind of attitude where we think we know the truth, where we think we know what's going on. And so we don't need to worry about what uh, we read or hear from others. We should always question ourselves and question other men, even if it's a preacher we, we know well. Now, I know several preachers that I have great, great respect for, Guy Orbison Jr. and many others. And I, I, I use their notes and their commentaries, and I like, like for example, R.C.H. Linscape. But I always look at that in light of the Scripture. I'm reading the Bible. And if I come to a part that, man, I'm a, I struggle with this a little bit, I'm going to go take a look at what other people say. Uh, cha- verse 19 here in, in verse chapter 3 Denny Petrillo. I know Denny. He is a, he's way smarter than I am. He runs the Bear Valley School of Preaching up in uh, Colorado. Guy I, and I believe Guy Orbison uh, uh, agrees with him and with Linsky on on what verse 19 says. But I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong and they're probably saying, "Yes, you are wrong, Chris," and they could probably explain it better. But I see this differently in the scripture. But I am willing to re-examine and rehash that out. I want to know the truth, and I hope you do too. That's what we do here at North Valley. We're not just a denomination. We're not just another church. We are students of the Bible, all of us. We all want to know the truth, and we all want to get to heaven and do things God's way and his way only. We're not trying to update to a new culture. We're not trying to change ourselves to try to bring in people. We are trying to change ourselves to look like Christ to be pleasing to the Lord and not to the world, be pleasing to Christ and not to our government or our community. We are simply wanting to be men and women who bow and humble ourselves before the almighty God in heaven. We want to do things right. We know that this life is short. It's a vapor compared to eternity. We want to get there, and we want you to get there too. We know the way. We can help guide you. And that's all we are, guys. You've got to take a look at the map yourself, the Word of God, to find the confidence that I have, that Paul has, that Peter has. They clearly know. You can know also if you're willing to take the time to study and look. And I'm more than willing to help guide you in this, to find what you need to find in the Word of Truth, and to keep knowing And Lord willing, get to a point where you don't even need me because you know how to study the scriptures on your own. Think about that. Have a wonderful, blessed week. Our time is up. And I hope you come back next uh, Tuesday. You may even email me or come and visit us here at North Valley. Thank you and God bless. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.